Hey, Dangerously Likely fans. Today, we are introducing part two of a two-part special crossover with our good friend, Jalen Thompson, the host of Go Black Boy Go. So go check out part one through Go Black Boy Go. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. I'm Torrance. I'm Terrell. I'm Jalen. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to talk about advocacy. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. Before we get into a really important and fun special episode of Dangerously Likely, we couldn't let some really great news coming out of the state of New York uh, go without being talked about. Um, On last Tuesday, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned in amidst his heated uh, sexual harassment battle after a report uh, was released by the New York Attorney General's office, um, damning him with 11 uh, counts and, and, and assessments of uh, sexual harassment and sexual assault while he was governor and before he was governor. Um, but the good news that is coming out of this is that New York uh, will have its first female governor, Kathleen Hochul, who will become the 57th governor in two weeks after a two-week uh, period before the resignation of um, current governor Andrew Cuomo. Kathy Hochul is a lifelong public servant. She is currently serving as lieutenant governor of New York and served for the last seven years since 2015 under um, Governor Andrew Cuomo. Before that, uh, she was a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, where she won a 2011 special election, where she identified herself as an independent Democrat. Um, Before that, she served as the Erie County clerk and spent 14 years um, running the town board um, in in her city. And she says that, as someone who has served at all levels of government and is next in the line of succession, I'm prepared to lead as the New York State's 57th governor. Um, I bring this up as notable because New York uh, tends to be looked at as a very liberal place, but she will be the first female governor in that state, even one of the more liberally uh, and progressive places in this country. I wanted to ask you guys and Jalen, since we have you on today, um, what your thoughts on that are, that like now in 2021, even a state like New York is just now having its first female governor, um, and what this means for... Uh, for the movement uh, of women in power. Caleb, I'll start with you. Well, first, I think it's a really big deal. I, um, I, I honestly, I'll, I'll be honest here. I don't know the political history of New York State uh, as well as maybe I should. And I did not realize that this would be the first female governor until I started seeing the news headlines about it. Um, so, of course, congratulations uh, to her. And... I don't know, like, like, what does it, I remember hearing about it, but it doesn't really, I guess, surprise me. Um, I kind of, I have a friend who has always talked about, and this is slightly different because she always talks about president of the United States. Mm. And she has this really long held belief that the first woman or female U.S. president is going to be not elected. It's going to happen some other way. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, that's what this story like really reminds me of because that's kind of exactly what happened. Like New York's first female governor, super liberal state, um, wasn't elected. I mean, well, wasn't elected to the governorship specifically mm-hmm. um, and comes in, I guess, kind of ironically after how Andrew um, Cuomo went out. And I don't know, just like, like, it's a really big deal. And I hope that the focus, like from the media and whatnot from her isn't like clouded by what the previous governor um, has done. 
and I bet she'll be a great governor and I wish her the best of luck, but it doesn't, I guess my two takeaways is it doesn't surprise me that, um, she wasn't elected. Mm. Um, and it doesn't really surprise me that this is the first time New York has its first female governor. And also what you're really saying is watch out Joe Biden because, <laughs> but on, oh <laughs> but like also I, one thing I really find interesting about what um, you share Torrance and what you just mentioned, Caleb is um, the idea that a liberal state should have had a female governor before, right? Washington, Oregon, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, South Dakota, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Kansas, Iowa, Louisiana, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, South Carolina, North Carolina, New Jersey, Delaware, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, um, New Hampshire, Delaware, Vermont, and Maine. Like those are the only states to ever have a female governor. So California and New York areas that you would say are incredibly Mm -hmm. liberal who should have been above the curve or ahead of the curve, right? Have never had a female governor. And I I echo exactly what you said. And I very much mirror what your friend mentioned, Caleb, that I don't know if our country is ready for a female leader. I mean, we have to look no further than 2020 and the conversations that were had for Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren, Um, when they were making a really solid run for the position and how many people brought out their sexist tones of why is she always in a pantsuit? Why does she communicate this way? All of these things. When these women are overly qualified, just as um, the governor of New York is now. And um, I'm happy, I'm excited, but I, I do think that there's a space in place to also call out the liberalism here of you got California and New York who couldn't even elect their own. And Torrance, you and I coming from Michigan, two of the greatest governors of our time have been females. So go Granholm, go Whitmer, baby. There it is. <laughs> Not Idaho. Not Idaho. Not Idaho. Yeah, just I mean, yeah, the governor the governor of Alabama got there through a sex scandal from the male governor before her. So I mean, that is an True. interesting uh, situation that's happening in New York. Um, yes, it is shocking because you think of New York, but I don't know. Like, just hearing that California, California, I would think California would have one. Um, I don't know. It's just it just kind of makes me reconsider. Like, what is liberal? Just with this being this being a thing that has happened. I'm really considering reconsidering what is liberal because, um, I mean, I've had many experiences with liberal, uh, well-intentioned folks who, um, cause a lot of harm. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's my, to that question I ask, what is liberal? That, no, I think that that's a very fair point. It was kind of why, like all the, those points that you guys just made were kind of why like, I was intentional about bringing up her, um, time as a public servant i mean like mm-hmm. yes someone might not think much of like being on a town board but like to spend 14 years like she she went to syracuse she went to catholic university uh to get for her law degree she practiced law in dc she then you know served 14 years on a town board then was the highest ranking female official in erie county as the county clerk and then 
ran in a special election unseating um for, oh, actually, I, I was reading correctly that when she ran in that special election, it was also due to a scandal. The Republican wow. congressman that was in that seat was also due to a scandal when she ran for that special election. Um, so she's a lifelong public servant. She yeah. has the chops. She has the education. She has the experience. And even then, she still couldn't like rise to the top on her own without being elected as a lieutenant governor. But I mean, like, it's America. Men... Like, what more can you say? And just the fact that, yeah, these women are typically over overqualified, put in a, a hell of a lot of work, more than the the men that are in those positions. Obviously, if they're out here touching folks, um, yeah, I'm. It's just like, I think, yeah, we we definitely, I we definitely need more female leaders in power. But do we deserve them? And we'll be right back. And we're back. Um, Again, if you haven't had the opportunity to check out the Go Black Boy Go collaboration between us and our lovely guest, Jalen, please check it out. Um, It really sets the stage for this amazing conversation that we're about to have. Just the the dialogue that we were able to have, Jalen, was centered around race, was centered around understanding of each other. And one point that I really took away from it was what is advocacy? Like, right. Both of you were able to share personal stories, Torrance and Jalen, and kind of highlighted this this belief that advocacy can sometimes just be telling your experience or it can be showing up in the streets. And then Caleb, you were, you were able to communicate of um, the importance of intentionality and showing up in the space. So I really kind of wanted to one, give Jalen an opportunity to introduce himself to our listeners, but two, dive into a conversation a little bit more around that. Like we talk so much about politics here and legislation, but for your average Americans, what are they, what can they do? How can they show up? Um, in the conversations that we're having in in the spaces that we've been able to create and what does it mean to truly be advocates in those. But Jalen, before we we get into it, I'm going to give you the floor and let you talk a little bit about yourself. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Jalen. I host podcasts called Go Black Boy Go. I'm very excited to be here and and, in this environment with these very um, educated men and um, yeah, I'm just excited to to chat with y'all, and thank you for coming on. Yes, thank you for being here, Jalen. We're so excited to have you. So let's dive right in. So, like, I don't know. I guess I could start. Sure, go for it. Dive in. So, yeah, like, I'm not a person that is gonna be like, I'm going out into the streets. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to this rally. I'm gonna go, you know, because I just because of the environment that I live at. And because I don't know, the black community here is you got you got to go looking for them. Like I don't know, because I I know that they've done uh, last year. I knew they they did rallies and things like that. But even the even the rally that they did, it got hijacked by a bunch of destructive white teenagers. Like that's literally what happened to their Black Lives Matter protest that was trying to honor the life of George Floyd. It got hijacked. And 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 right, that's when the riot happened. And so, when the riot happened, people were thinking, 
oh, that's because of the Black Lives Matter protest. And so because I know that that because because I know that things could pop off and sh- and switch no matter what, even if it's led by by black folks, I'm just very like because because of just the environment that I'm in, I'm just very like I, I'm not a protest person. I also don't like crowds. COVID has um, I didn't like crowds before that mm-hmm. before COVID, but COVID has solidified that I just love being by myself. And so I think um, a way that I show up for my community, a way that I advocate for my community is first, I really have just, I mean, just educating myself about my, like my personal history, my family history, educating myself about just U.S. US history in general, because we really didn't get taught uh, very nuanced ways to think about American history. And I'm finding new things out all the time. And I think from just really doing a lot of studying and reading and um, I'm trying to, you know, take that and, and just really, just really trying to stay in contact with my family and friends and just cause I, I realize that they harbor a lot of things that just aren't helpful. And it's, it's just mm-hmm. from not knowing things and I also understand that if I approach them uh, as if they're a student, like that's not going to be good either. So it's like a lot of culti- a lot of cultivating relationships that I've already had with folks and just sharing sharing my knowledge through talking about my experience. And then if it leads into some larger conversation about how power works in America, that's great. Um, but I, I think, and then I think in general, just a way that I continually show up for my community is just to, um, just to love my community, to love myself first, and then to spread that love with my community. So, yeah. You know, I think that like, one of like the really important things about like both advocacy and activism and something that you kind of like get to um, by explaining who you are and like the way that you show up is like, I think a lot of people do think that it is that it does mean protest. It does mean out there volunteering, talking to people, going door to door, if that's what you know the canvassing is on that campaign. Um, that like for you showing up on Go Black Boy Go, talking about these things, like being your authentic self and like creating space and taking up space, mm. I think is like is a powerful um in quiet not in like a like a small sense but a quiet and powerful way of showing up for your community and advocating um for your community um in spaces that we aren't that like we aren't that much right like Mm -hmm. i think that we it often gets misconstrued or or misrepresented that like just simply taking up space authentically is our ancestors wildest dreams right like unapologetically taking up space and advocating for your, your authentic self and for your community is something that like they didn't have the right or therefore like the privilege to do. Mm. And, the, and it doesn't matter if that means walking on the street, holding a sign, or if that means having hard conversations in your room over a zoom or over, over a, whatever the platform might be to have tough conversations that are ultimately going to move even just one, even if it's just one person's mind forward. Right. And like, that's how, like, and we discussed a little bit on the last podcast and I'm going to really avoid like spoil any of the specific stuff we said, because I want people to go over to listen to the episode that we did um, on your platform, because I thought that it was really great, but that like 
you know, to, to a little, like a little bit of the backstory, like on my own identity with like my comfortability with my blackness and stuff is that like the, like last year, like with, with all the activism, like that really standing in my own space authentically and not needing others to validate my blackness was, was a form of protest in itself. Right. Like in, in no longer deciding that someone else's idea of blackness was what validated whether I was black enough or not, right? Mm -hmm. Like you look at, you look at the DNA, that is what it is. It's not going to change. And I don't need anyone else's permission for it. And like advocacy and activism, like show are are big in small ways. And those can be impactful. um, And and from varying degrees, you know? Well, just, yeah. What, what I find just kind of adding on to um, just kind of piggybacking piggybacking uh however you say it <laughs> they used to say it a bunch of chapter piggybacking anyway <laughs> not the fraternity boy coming out here <laughs> uh, yeah dude anyway um <laughs> just going off of what you were saying torrance um i think i think what gets in term when we think of activism i think we go to the 60s the civil rights protests we go to black power like that's our like kind of like main example that we that we continually go to and i think for me what has been quite liberating is knowing that even even that movement even even the civil rights movement had a lot of problems had a lot of uh discrimination against black women against uh uh queer black queer folks within the movement and seeing that in 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 those kind of things happening, how it continue continue to hold the black community back, and I've been re- recently finding out that some of the people that were very very vocal, very uh, pro black, that were still alive, turned into conservatives later on because, and I assume it was just from seeing Malcolm X get shot and killed and, and MLK get shot and killed just seeing all these just seeing all these leaders get killed and them just not you know being afraid to uphold their black power stance but i and i think i think that kind of fear still um happens even with um i get our our current uh you know black lives matter uh, movement um and so yeah i mean i just I think of the sixties, I think of the, all of the, um, very problematic things that happen with, with the movement and try to try to think of ways to honor that legacy, but also do it in a way that is true to myself and that I'm not going to bring harm onto myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I got to say, Jalen, when you were talking about your experience um, in Eugene with Black Lives Matter protests, I didn't get to go to um, a protest either. And I I wanted to, but I was up in Coeur d'Alene and working for my dad at the time during COVID and it just seemed like the safest place to be. And the, the weird, there's kind of some similarities between your and my experience because there was like a rumor that went around. I don't know how much truth there was to it or not. There was, there was protests over in Spokane, which is like 40 minutes away mm-hmm. from where I live, um, Washington, but there was Are like you that rumors. close to Washington? Yeah. Yeah. Where'd you get like, that far North? 
I don't know, or maybe 20 minutes away. Wow. No, 10, 15 minutes away from state line. Yeah. Wow. But, um, yeah, and only an hour away from Montana on the other side. But, um, yeah, no, I, there was like a rumor that went around um, Facebook or something uh, for a Black Lives Matter protest mm-hmm. in downtown Coeur d'Alene. And it turned out that that rumor wasn't true. It was just somebody that was like trying to infuriate everybody in Coeur d'Alene who is like very much against Black Lives Matter. So what had happened is like the whole main street of Coeur d'Alene had like these militia guys, like full body armor, AR-15s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people like walked up to them, like videos running, you know, and we're like, what are you, what are you doing here? And they're like, we're protecting our businesses and whatnot. And so it's, <laughs> so um, I think I, stuff like this even happened in Boise, mm-hmm. which a lot of people think is like, oh, it's not the same as Coeur d'Alene, but like, but like, I think we forget that like these white supremacists travel. It just has stoplights. <laughs> Boise just has stoplights. That's the only difference between Boise and Coeur d'Alene. <laughs> Coeur d'Alene's not that small. But, um, <laughs> Coeur d'Alene Spokane area is as big or more as the Treasure Valley. That's but um, yeah, no, that was kind of my experience with it. Yeah. And I felt like I, I felt during it a little bit that I wasn't because I saw friends and whatnot through social media down at Boise that were going to these protests and whatnot. And I kind of felt like I should be there, mm-hmm. but I'm here. Mm-hmm. But I also, I also kind of took the idea of what advocacy means and had a lot of conversations. A lot of them were actually pretty natural with like my parents and my family. And we talked about a lot of deep things when it came to race in America and whatnot. And I feel like, I feel like my parents and I are on a way like different page than we were even a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. On, That's good kind of like worldview and what that, what the world means for different people and whatnot. And, you know, I mean, I, it was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting summer. That's for sure. Up in Coeur d'Alene. <laughs> yeah. To say the least. I, I feel like that too. We touched about the, we touched on this a little bit um, in your show, Jalen, but it might be worth revisiting here is that intentionality piece, right? Like, what what does that look like in showing up? Because I I mean, echoing everything you all said, I had some very harsh conversations with people because I braided the pandemic to fly to Washington for the Don't Step on Our Necks um, march that was organized by Al Sharpton and whatnot. And I've been very outspoken, if you will, whether it's positive or not, in saying Black Lives Matter in my email signature and doing these these pieces but i also i also think too and we've talked about this a few times my intentions might be pure but does it read for our white folk or in other individuals that it's performative or does it it put them in that space of oh they're just doing that but i can't call it out or i can't engage with this person now because either they feel that that's too confrontational or they just feel uncomfortable calling me performative they should be uncomfortable Exactly. Thank, thank you. I mean, like that's something like you know, I, I to, to say this like more succinctly, based on like something that both Caleb said and what you originally said, Jalen, regarding like protest as like the like primary form right of activism and advocating for your community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like something that was missing in right in the, in the sixties and in the, in the civil rights movement is like 
but we never had the hard conversations at home, right? Mm-hmm. With our friends, with our family, with our colleagues. Like, we're, like we might have been marching in the street. We might have been, av- like, you know, um, av- advocating for policy change, right? Yeah. But were we having the hard conversations amongst ourselves? And like, that's where like, I think that some of the most impactful things I did were finally having these hard conversations face to face, pushing the, pushing the uh, issues with my, with my white family, like, right. Like having, pushing them on what they believe and why they believe it. And this idea that they are, that we're post-racial and that's obviously completely untrue, right? Like these, these are people Laughable. who have racial bias, right, right? Have racial biases, if not outright racism within them, who would, who would espouse such things as like, we're post, we're in a post race, uh, race, racial America. Um, and then in, even in addition to that, right, like I started a, a diversity, equity and inclusion committee at work where like we did a lot of, of hard work and, um, workshops and conversations around black lives matter, around anti-racism, um, around anti-blackness specifically. And so it's like that, that's the advocacy that I think that like is next level, next generation is like, where are we, are we like taking these conversations into spaces where they've been taboo prior to that? I think that's a important point you highlight is the fact that the conversations are the important things that need Mm -hmm. to be had because we might not have control over how these systems work, but we can talk about how they affect us and how they affect other people and talk about it amongst people that, you know, that we know. And that is much more effective, I think, and much more accessible than, you know, if you're not able to go to a protest, you know, that is that is another very important thing that you have to do. What I also, um, you know, I'm kind of getting, uh, I'm kind of remembering my feelings about when those protests were happening. It was a very traumatic time. Um, and yeah. not tra- not traumatic because of the displays of violence, the, the displays of violence, but because of just how... I remember there were white people um, kind of using the protest as some kind of like cool thing to do because like, Mm -hmm. oh, we've been locked down, like let's go out and do this protest. It was just, it wasn't even performative because it wasn't even in support of black lives. It was just more like, we want to get out of the house. Something to do. Yeah, something to do. And I remember that. And then I also remember being terrified um, coming home uh, from the from the grocery store, um, and a sea of white folks were marching. And when I see a sea of white people, I'm just like, w- like what? It's just like not something I want to see. And I know mm-hmm. it was for a Black Lives Matter protest because they were saying Black Lives Matter, but it was still something that terrified me. And it's like, it's. It's ups- it, it, It's kind of upsetting because it's like I should be able to feel comfortable enough to go to a Black Lives Matter protest, but I don't. And mm-hmm. many of those protests sometimes are, are heavily policed. So there's a possibility yeah. that I there's harm that can be brought on that way. And then mm-hmm. many of the protests here are sometimes led by white folks, well-intentioned white folks, um, not, you know, and it's just like, I don't think I would, especially not at the time, at the time that it was going on. Um, I wouldn't have felt, you know, comfortable 
engaging because um, it just didn't seem like a good environment for me at the time. So, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, a form of form of protest that I've definitely been exercising is just through conversations. I think last year really made me propel into myself and know that I needed to be myself so that I could save myself because I mean, teaching, teaching, teaching in this environment is like really, it was really hard. Now I'm getting used to it, but you know, it's very tense. You know, they, they, the students get on the zoom and they, they see me and, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how they're thinking they should react to me. And mm-hmm. I think already they're kind of on edge. And so something that I started doing was, you know, just being comfortable in front of them, looking fabulous, showing up and giving them just good information that they need, uh, asking them about their lives and pointing out moments when men have done them wrong and they need to just like, just through conversations, through showing up as myself. And it, it, you know, it felt really good doing that because for the first time, I felt like I had some kind some kind of sense of control. So if I could if I could harp on a piece and maybe change gears just slightly, I mean, we're a group of podcasters here. We we have conversations, we talk about it. So when we talk about advocacy and when we speak to this, how do you have that conversation? Like what do you build? If I'm able to share a little bit of um, personal bias here, um, I have a friend who I've known most of my life and leading into um, all the things that happened in 2020, there were a lot of points of you're acting differently or you mm. speak differently or all of this. And there was a realization that I've been very transparent with y'all of I had assimilated around this individual. I had allowed for them to not see me as black and really separate that piece from me. Um, but even beyond that, we didn't just talk about race. We talked about my policies and they were a- also able to separate my belief of uh, a strong government and a federal government and, and hone into their conservatism. But this individual I had known for years, I had made excuses and I found myself stopping from getting into the deep conversation or pushing too far because I valued the friendship over that until we hit a point of, ironically, it was over um, electric cars. Um, but until we hit this point of arguing about an electric car and I felt attacked as a person, not so much as a, as a a thinker and a, an individual who was speaking on why electric vehicles are important or how they could get there, plausibility, all that jazz. Um, to the point, like we don't talk anymore. I've, I've known this person for almost 20 years. And again, in this advocacy space of helping to educate maybe i could have been a little softer but y'all know that's not my my forte not how i do um but how do we have that conversation right because i mean if we're talking about race that is a hard conversation to not get invested in and and speak in a certain way and then if all the times we talked about climate um we're living through a heat crisis in the pacific northwest we've all talked about it how do you how do you advocate appropriately in that space that allows for that conversation to still be productive without it being this misinformation stuff that we've dealt with. It is 
hard. I mean, it's, it is, it is not easy. And I think that like what space you're in definitely like, I don't want to say require, because I'll say this, like it is not black people's responsibility to take up this mantle. But if you feel, if you feel that, that is something you want to do as I, I do, I am, I am um, passionate about educating people about, um, having the hard conversations but like i, I told you i was like I, you know I, I started a diversity equity and inclusion committee and i have i had been which a part i think of this is great for, by the way oh thank you Jalen. uh at, at a catholic university yeah at yeah. a catholic university that is very predominantly white yes. um and i work with mostly white people even though like even though i work in a division that's the most diverse of the university it's still overwhelmingly white so like diverse is um relative there yeah. but like this like depending on like what group I'm working with, what department I'm working with, and I'm giving this like, right, like an anti-racism session, or how do we talk about race with children? Like that's one of the workshops and sessions that I've done. And I just did that last Friday. It's like, it depends like how you tread into the conversation mm -hmm. will directly impact whether or not like you have wasted an hour of your time and your breath, or if like you've actually like, if, if something has sunk, like sunk in for them and that they are impacted by it. And, and even if it doesn't change their mind, does it, change their perspective does it reinform how they look at something does it just make them think a little longer a little harder yeah. about something that they hadn't before and like don't get me wrong like i get very frustrated in some of these spaces where it's like i don't feel like i should have to explain this to you uh, this should be like common sense right but mm -hmm. like at the end of the day my goal is for them to do better to learn and get better right so like i have to do things and watch myself and 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 i don't use the word police but police myself because my feelings are valid. Yeah. They mm -hmm. are, but I'm not going to let them get in the way of the goal, which the end goal is that like, I get this person a step closer to like seeing their own yeah. faults or seeing their own like uh, false socialization. Yeah. But it's difficult. No, it definitely is. And um, I think, I think I, I think you have to, in order to have these conversations, you have to have them with people that are willing to have them. If you know that, the the person you're you're talking to like in Tarot, your case i've had a friend like that too where you're talking to this person you're thinking that you know just by you being friends that that's going to you know give them some kind of mm -hmm. insight and you realize that no this person just wants me here just to argue with me this person is wasting my time and they really don't want to better themselves because all of these issues, the issues that are affecting black people and brown people and just other people of color, that affects everyone. So it's like us, us trying to talk with people about these things. We're literally trying to help everyone. And it's like, if you don't want to be helped, I'm going to let your ass sink. <laughs> well, look, can I, I mean, can I ask something and, and, and obviously Caleb, you too, but it, it does like more... I think closely uh, pertain to Terrell uh, and Jalen, but like I've been in that situation where I like, have these friends that you've known your whole life that like you would consider people that you care deeply for, that you're close with, that know you very well, that like throughout your life, you're like, well, I, I assumed that they cared deeply about me and my family as well. Right. Like, last summer you saw a lot of true colors and it's like like how did you guys process that right because like Terrell, we specifically have people that like we went to college with where it's like what the fuck were you thinking when you were talking to me at that party like right like what were you like what did you think of me when we were having conversations because like the way you're acting now doesn't yeah. reflect what i felt like i was experiencing in that friendship right so it's just like yeah. 
what the hell was going through your brain if this is what you think about the world? I mean, the friend I use as an example voted for Trump. So that tells you like the amount of division that was able that they were able to create from me and and who I am as a person. Again, not yes, from a very racial space, but also just from a political space, right? Like um I'll do a call to our uh, Jalen, your episode again. Um, one of my favorite court decisions is a loving decision. Jalen or um, Torrance, you mentioned that in Go Black Boy Go. Because it's it's a reminder that up until the 1960s, black and white folks could not get married in this country. Could not get married. Couldn't, they could date, but there was no future there, which is another form of helping to limit and and stop this creation. And I, I know we talked a lot about heritage, so I don't want to drone on about that. But for that friend to have talked to me through a lot of the things that have happened, all of the spaces, for them to be able to bake that big of a separation, right, of understanding my race. And we we had some very intentional spaces and conversations there and still vote for this individual who I will name as an oppressor. Um, I, I think that speaks volumes to your point, right, of there is that that space in place of, yeah, we've been friends for so many years and I value you as a person, but your ability to erase an entire part of my identity is where I have to personally draw the line. For me, it comes from, so I was in a relationship with someone uh, for about five years. And when all of this stuff was going on, this person who I thought loved me, who I thought was one of the good white men in the world. It seems like Caleb is the only one I know right now. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, we do have to hear from the good white man on this point. Um, <laughs> one of the only good white men in the world. Nice. Like I started when, when all of this stuff was going on, when I was like, I'm trauma, I'm traumatized by this. This makes me uncomfortable. When all of this stuff was going on, this person could not comprehend how to help me mm-hmm. being 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 that I was his black partner and his family voted for Trump. So it wasn't him. He was doing all of the good like performative things to show me like, oh look, I'm here for you. But his his family became a, a issue because it it's like he still held on to their values even though he was trying to he he was still under their influence and so mm-hmm. i didn't realize it was really a life-changing moment because i had i i had to leave this person for my mm-hmm. safety so that was what i was dealing with with trying to have conversations with with folks i was trying to have a conversation with someone who i was ready to spend the rest of my life with but and then I didn't realize that, oh, this whole time, this person has not been able to help me. And I've just been, I don't know if it's, a, I don't know if it was the assimilation aspect or just ignoring, but I, yeah, I just realized like when all of this stuff happened, when I started really thinking more about who I was, I was like, okay, yeah, this isn't someone I need in my life. 
Well, and love is a bitch, right? <laughs> but you know what? But you know what? That's a whole another thing. It is. And it's like, you know what? I rethought love because I'm like, what are my examples of love? Mm. Y'all know, y'all, y'all heard me talk about my family. What are my examples of love? There's a thin line between love and hate, as they like to say. But I do want to, I do want to touch with you, Caleb, of like, what did, what does this conversation look like to you? What does advocacy look like in an affirmative way? Because obviously we can talk about our experience and we can go on, <laughs> but um, like you and I have some amazing conversations when it comes to advocacy. We, we talk about policies and things I, after the um, xenophobic acts in Idaho, you, I, and your partner went to a, um, a visual and, and listened, like what, what conversations resonate or how, do, how do you make conversations resonate? I don't know. Figure out how you want to take that question. <laughs> I, I think there's a few different ways I kind of want to take it. And one of the things I've been kind of thinking about just listening to all of you and some of your experiences is the way I kind of take it is there's like, there's a lot of people. Um, I'm not going to say all of them are friends or anything, but there's a lot of people that I've crossed paths in my life that, especially over the last, I don't know, a few years that like have these, to put it plainly, interesting views on race in America and everything that it comes with. Hmm. And, and for me, like, I really try to understand where that individual is coming from and why they think the way they do. That's how I really try to approach some of these conversations. And I won't say I am a perfect white male. Um, Good. I wouldn't either. You have your moments though. <laughs> Good. <laughs> At least I have moments. I look, I don't even think that I have like kind of a piece of vulnerability. Like, like, yeah, I post stuff on social media and I've donated to several organizations, especially throughout the past year. And I believe that showing up is a really big deal. And I did a lot, especially when I was ultra involved with Boise State and whatnot. But but I always, I always kind of have this fear in the back of my head that that's also going to just be seen as performative and that me being in those spaces doesn't actually do a whole lot or someone's just going to see me post, I don't know, something about Black Lives Matter on Instagram mm -hmm. and just think <laughs> I'm another one of those typical people that I'm only doing that and that's it. And I feel like we live in an age of a lot of assumptions, but yeah. yeah. I have, I kind of have that background, like, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a fear. Um, but I feel like I've kind of grown out of that a little bit because like, I don't know, as long as I'm like doing something and I look at things through quite a political lens too, if I'm doing something, um, kind of about the situation and the political lens thing, what I mean by that is even contacting my legislators or trying to get the people elected that will actually fight for these kind of issues and whatnot. That's really hard to do in Idaho. Just, just putting that out there, but because <laughs> you haven't ran yet, give some time. What? Because oh. you haven't ran yet, give some time. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if that's happening or not in Idaho. <laughs> but um, in Idaho, you're in Idaho. You're like, and 
Idaho is this weird place where it's like, I've had these conversations with you and I'm taking this in a completely different direction now, but I've had these conversations with you, Terrell, about like talking in politics. How do you like flip Idaho to like a blue state? And, and I really think it is all about. Let the potatoes vote. Yes. But, (laughs) but I really think that it's all about, um, like you have to have someone who, who it wouldn't be the same thing because this is a different situation, but you have to have someone that is as driven as like a Stacey Abrams in Georgia. You have to have someone that sticks around here is it has to expect that they'll lose whatever office statewide that they're running for. Mm. And you have to have someone that wants to build that infrastructure and wants to meet people where they're at. And I'm telling you right now in Idaho, that is a very hard thing to do. Yeah, Like that takes years in a lot of places. Um, And like, so I guess that's just kind of how I, that's how I think about it. Like, like when I've had conversations like this with my parents, like, like they come from a different era. Like they're, I don't think they're very open. I give them credit for being able to listen and not fall back on maybe what they were grown up with, if they were grown up with any kind of assumption. Um, but I, as you know, I'm a Virgo, very observational. <laughs> I listen. I, I listen to them. I and to we have a, I know I did. And we had to, or we have a good conversation of understanding where each other is coming from. And, I do admit that I definitely have a privilege of being able to do that too. Mm. Caleb, can I, I just want to like, just like, you don't have to talk about it expansively, uh, but more specific in that question that like, I was kind of hoping you would read out is like, like Caleb, what does it look like for like people our age for you as like a white male who is definitely like very much an ally to the movement? Like what do those conversations look like? Right. Like to other white peers who may not share the same opinion, because like, that's what I'm very curious, right? Cause like that's, the uncomfortable shit. Yeah. That's the hard shit. Cause one yeah, one thing I know about white men, y'all like to impress each other. So yes. <laughs> oh, Jalen coming out here. That's quite <laughs> observation. <laughs> Those conversations are interesting and I don't walk away from everyone necessarily every one of them necessarily feeling good or like I've made any impact. And sometimes it's more of a, sometimes it's more of like a slowly chip away thing, but sometimes people just kind of like, I don't know how to like put this. Sometimes it just feels like the conversations I have, like they're just not aware. Mm. Like I've been in some, I can't think of words right now. I've been in some, like hostile feels a little harsh, but hostile conversations about this kind of stuff before where we've kind of gone at each other a little bit in terms of like, I had a friend who, and I had a friend who had some very interesting views on what policing looks like in America and whatnot a little while back. And since then he has completely like changed what his views are and whatnot. And I don't, it was before what, it was before all the protests of last summer too. So that was this, it was just like a conversation that took place over a long period of time, but we had a lot of conversations with, I had a lot of conversations with him about like 
what the real effect is and the impact is and what this has looked like in in America. And he comes from a law enforcement family, so he had a completely different perspective on this. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he has completely changed his perspective coming from a law enforcement family because he knows more stuff about like what his his family does than I do for sure. But I think he kind of realized, I think his mind has opened up since a little bit. And I think he's kind of realized that look like policing affects different people in these kind of ways. And here's the history and the education that surrounds it that we in Coeur d'Alene never got taught in school and whatnot. And I don't know, that conversation wasn't just one conversation. It was several and there's conversations that I walk away from that don't end like that. Mm-hmm. And there's conversations that I walk away from where, where like I have a complete understanding of why they think the way they do. Um, and hopefully, hopefully I had some part in, in helping them understand that it's not, that it's not like what everything that you think it is. And I know it's not everything I think it is either. Cause I'm not, I don't know if I'm also the perfect person to be talking to them about this, you know, but I don't, I don't know. Does that answer your question? I, well, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it is all subjective, right? Our own experience informs the way that we look at something. Yes. Like obviously there is the truth and there is fact, but like that doesn't make you immune to like your own experiences and how that informs the way you think about something. And I think that's an important thing to highlight is that our experiences of these things like that's what we have to lead with when we have these conversations because that's what we live that's what is stored with us and i i think yeah i think that's where some good work can happen is leading with your experience and then talking mm-hmm. with other people about their experience yeah so uh, what's our call to action then like what i think you you all bring up some really great points, especially when it relates to advocacy of conversations and, and leading with your experience. But what's the call to action that viewers should take away from this? Like what what does it mean for them to show up now? What <clears throat> hearing this conversation and and just being a part of the work that both of our pods have been able to do, what is that movement? I think that the through line most certainly from like the, the, the first episode on go black boy, go to, to this conversation here is that like having it right. Like showing up and having the conversation and doing so unapologetically um, Mm -hmm. is the action because it's the thing that has long been missing. Right. Like I even, you know, growing up in a, in a mixed race family, like we, we had some of the hard conversations that like certainly weren't being had outside, like outside of like, you know, mixed race families, families where it comes to the surface naturally, but like, we avoided a lot of shit. We avoided a lot of hard conversations that like now we're finally having mm-hmm. and it's, and it's productive and it's good and it's not easy. It's definitely created some issues and rifts as well, but like it's the truth mm-hmm. and the truth matters mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. showing up with 100% of yourself and sharing your experience. Like that is, that is, that is reality for you. And so like, that's what you've got to share with the people that you care about and the people that care about you, whether they agree or disagree with you should care about your experience. Yes, Torrance. Yes. That's kind of like, um, just adding on to Torrance, what you just said, that's kind of like how I try to understand where people are coming from. And I try to, I try to help them understand that 
where you're coming from isn't how everybody else has experienced things and whatnot. And that's kind of like the root of how I have these conversations. And there's a lot that I learned in them too. I, I don't try to force my myself like that onto people in these conversations all the time. I try to do it a little bit more artfully, but, um, but I also like know that I feel like I still have a lot of things to learn as well. And especially like, I didn't learn any of this in high school. This was all over the last like three years for me. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's something important to highlight is that, you know, we're, we're still learning. Like a lot of this education has been suppressed and, um, I think we're at a moment in co- our culture and society right now where people are hungry to know this knowledge because they realize that that's from from us not knowing it, that's what's holding us back. And um, I just think, you know, whatever you do, however you decide to have these conversations um, and, and on whatever platform or or structure, lead with love that you you can't go wrong as long as you're you're leading with love and we'll be right back all right so i'm so glad that you were able to be a part of this conversation Jalen. and we normally do a tangent where you just kind of go on a rant about all the things Um, But because we've had some really great conversations and I feel like we didn't get to dive into culture, like pop culture as much as we normally would. How about you take us on a tangent as it relates to TV shows, maybe movies. I don't watch a lot of TV, so whatever fits for you. So I have recently. So people have been telling me to watch this show for the longest. And recently Uh I've developed an obsession for Paris Hilton. She inspired this look here. that explains the, the gloves. The, very heiress of you. Very the, heiress of you. The simple life. Oh my God. Gold. Gold. Reality no TV way. gold. Oh my God. It is so good. And I just, you know, just it really puts me in a place where I'm like, I want to be those girls that can just go into a gas station and have all these men following after them and just have just all these people just just looking at them and they know that nothing is going to happen to them because they're princesses. I just love it. I love it. I love it. That's hot. The sim- that's hot. Gorge. Sliving. Gorge. That's our new word. Um, don't lie to them. That show was not all that. Also, no, I, I, feel old, I don't know why sure you came Karen's up on that. this platform, Jalen, with that shit. No, I feel old right now. Like you're like, I've never watched <laughs> it, but so many people told me like, go to this retro show that exists on Netflix. Like, I remember when that was on Fox. I remember turning it off because I would see um, Paris Hilton walking around trying to chase this ugly pit. I'm I'm taking right, like showing up at some farm with their damn Louis Vuittons. Like literally, that's me. That's me going down to Georgia to go see my family. That's that's how I'm gonna show up (laughs) with these gloves and this do rag. Hey y'all! With his damn heels on, hey. better get them, better get them pumps. On. Hey y'all! I don't, I won't wear heels. They, they hurt your feet. <laughs> fashion hurts. It's not, it's not worth the. I don't believe that. Fashion I don't hurt. believe that. I don't believe fashion hurts. That's because you don't know fashion. <laughs> oh, I was like, mm, don't, don't make me come out here and trail you. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, the simple life, absolutely love it. And then, my go-to recently has been Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. It's just. 
that is such a dynamic show. So many great characters, so many mm-hmm. great situations. And even though it's very like ratchet and messy and a lot of fighting, there there is I've I've been training myself to watch these kind of sh- well, I'm I'm teaching a reality TV show. I mean, a re- reality TV class starting next week for four oh. weeks. Um, which I'm really excited about. And Love and Hip Hop is one of the shows that my class will be watching. And I've been trying to critically watch these shows and really try to think more deeply about the conversations that are happening, even though all of this crazy stuff is happening. And so, yeah, that's a great show. And yeah. Put some respect on the Puerto Rican princess's name. That's all I got (laughs) to say. Jocelyn Hernandez, baby. But also, we we show up for Mimi because Mimi was a ride or die. I just uh, love when she. I just love when she eats that burrito. You mean you don't like the whole shower scene? But that was. I mean, that was iconic. That was iconic. No, it wasn't. It was not iconic. Yes, it was. Okay. She had everybody buying shower rods because she broke the damn thing. Oh, I don't think I saw her break it. She broke it. Also, oh y'all messy right don't now. Don't even get y'all me started messy. on her man because. Jocelyn said it the best during the reunion. You too busy out here trying to get other people to say, oh, hey, daddy, hey, daddy, hey, instead of having kids and being a family because you just messy. But I digress. Um, take us on a tangent, <laughs> Um, Because I just love to stay away from mess. I want to talk about our good girl, our, our good sis HBO Max <laughs> and, and the reboot. Of, of the mess that is Gossip Girl. Okay, see, this shit is messy, but I do love a good scripted mess. Okay, I do love a good scripted mess. I watched the original Gossip Girl. Um, I'd certainly live in a good Serena Blair hive from time to time. But let me tell you, this new reboot is on some shit. Okay, <laughs> is on some straight up shit. I won't do any spoilers, but I'm telling you, we're talking about like we thought that the original Gossip Girl was giving was was giving us soap opera. This is giving us Days of Our Lives every single day. Um, so and like there are some fucked up storylines. I'm like, ooh, I'm uncomfortable with that. Like I'm uncomfortable with that, but also like it's a TV show, so like what's a little discomfort? Um, it's scripted, it's fake, but I'm telling you, it's hot. It's hot. It's hot. Okay. So go visit our good sis HBO Max and give it a stream. I don't know if that's a good enough recommendation for me, but take us on a torrent. <laughs> take us on a tangent. Take us on a torrent. On a take us on a torrent. <laughs> got take me on the mind on too often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to uh, also take it back to HBO Max. Good sis, good sis. And uh, dangerously likely audiences have already heard me rant about this, so I'll keep it short. Far too simple. many times. Um, Right now, due to recency bias, my one of the most interesting TV shows I think I've ever watched, still going right now, I haven't seen all of it, is The White Lotus on HBO Max. Hmm. And The White I'm Lotus... Good things. Yeah, The White Lotus is about, like, it just follows several people, some people in a family, some people on their honeymoon, some people there alone, at this Hawaiian resort um, called The White Lotus just for the week. There's only six episodes for six days. And it like does this weird thing at the beginning where this isn't a spoiler because it's right at the beginning where somebody's dead, but you don't know who it is. And it's so it's like a mystery, but it's, it's totally not. Cause I, I find that I have kind of forgotten that somebody dies at the end of this, 
but it's really like way deeper on like a privilege and wealth and just even a race dynamic even though what's the cast white ms jennifer coolidge though white very very white cast so (laughs) the way that this is well is the white lotus isn't it yeah. yeah so true. like the cool. idea of it is like this is a like a fancy resort so like so like the the people who go to the resort are paying a lot of money for it so it's like rich white wealthy people but the interesting part is the resort is a lot of the staff are not white mm. and the only like non-white guest is a friend of this girl whose family is like on top of the corporate world and they're there mm-hmm. And it's really, the dynamics are really interesting. Um, the, the soundtrack, I love soundtracks. Um, they honestly make or break a TV show for me. But the soundtrack of this show is like, both kind of feels like it has that, you know, that kind of cliche tropical theme in it. But it's also very like, in certain moments, very anxiety inducing, mm. very part of the moment. And it's like, there was this tweet. I don't remember who said this tweet, but the guy said the show is super fascinating. It's like watching a panic attack unfold in slow motion. Hmm. And I don't know how, I'm not sure how it's going to end or whatnot, but it's, it's this weird, insane show that I never thought I would like. And here I am. Hmm. That wasn't short and simple. So I apologize. I'll but support it. Why don't you take us on a tangent? Trail? <laughs> I, I wish I don't watch TV like that. No, I'm literally like, what do I watch right now? I don't, I don't watch TV like that. Like being fully transparent. I feel like television died in 2017. Like, Oh, actually please stop with the dramatic. No, I'm serious. It is very dramatic. There's so much TV right now. They're like, there have been a golden age of television right now. I would, I would not, I would not say that. I would not say that. And here's why. Mm -hmm. So I'm not. Like, I will say there are some good shows that have come up, but when I think about shows that I watched when I was in college, right, like Scandal, um, Grey's Anatomy when it was at its peak, uh, Gossip Girl when it wasn't this remake that's apparently super messy and just hot because you enjoy watching the people take off their clothes. Like, I like hot messiness. Get out of here. Like, it's, but it's like, I mean, bad. I would even say. Uh, love and hip hop has been trash for the last two seasons because kind of the characters that you care about have been moved out. And Jalen Shakeman said he agrees. Like TV has moved towards this just meh. Like we've done a copy and paste in several places. White Lotus sounds to me like any other show I've probably seen before. We moved into this like, oh, how do we recreate The Office? How do we give this like bland, unseasoned no, white humor? No, 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 no. And it just hasn't no. been good. I'm just, this is but how I feel. Okay. This is my tangent. Yes, yes, yes. I can. <laughs> no, we y'all can't, can we can't attack you. But, but he over here making generalizations but about like, the entire TV industry after saying, well, I don't watch TV. I do want to watch The White Lotus. It's not, it's not office it's it's But like I'm just that. saying like, what show has really gotten you super eager to watch it the thing, in the last... Succession for me. Go for it, Jalen. The thing is, it's like for me... What is really my main TV source right now is older TV shows that are Thank on you. streaming platforms. Yes. Um, I do watch current. I mean, I have HBO Max. I barely get on mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, 
you know what, Terrell? Thank um, you. Hold on. I'm I'm agreeing and disagreeing. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, Jalen, this is slippery. <laughs> well, well, it's like, you know, I, I know that, you know, they have HBO Max has rebooted a bunch of stuff like the new mm-hmm. L, uh, L, L word, which I don't think is any did is going to do a better job than the original one. And it is this Bring kind of like in the city. Re, yeah, this kind of reboot mania. But it's like there are there have been some sh- some new shows that i've watched that i have been interested in i just think that tv is much different now and it's probably yes. accelerate accelerated because of the pandemic and, and trying to think of ways of pr- uh, pr- producing and circulating that streaming is it's the more dominant form of watching tv also yeah. drag race is amazing I will give you um, that. Just really quick to, to defend what I said. I, I, it's not messy as in like it's not well done. Gossip Girl, the reboot. It's not like the plot line is messy, but I, I'm not giving any spoilers here because you know how I feel about it. Like, but, but like also our most like you know dramas of this nature, like the plot lines are messy. But I will say this: it actually like does a good job of like actually addressing what was so just like washed over in the first one, like oh, yeah. privilege, like race, like lack of diversity. Like this is super self-aware yeah. in a way that like what? is a refreshing conversation. So like, I don't want to like overemphasize it's mess, even though like it is a hot mess in a good way. I take it. Take it. I, I, I get hesitant when shows do that because I'm like, are you just doing this just to show exactly. us the moment or are you doing this because you're actually not saying that that's not saying that the show is not good. I'm pretty sure it is, but I've recently, I, I've recently been questioning yeah, whether or not it is performative. Um, in some aspects it is like I was watching the Olympics and they were asking the, the, um, the folks of color, like, how do you feel about being a part of the, the black community? What is this? And it's just like, well, it's, you gotta give it a Kentucky fried chicken twang. Like, that's why the was man. That that, go look, at, go look <laughs> at the man that was asking those questions. Now he's got his full twang on. Now, now, now this you is Alabama. You don't, you don't brought this it out. Alabama. You don't brought it out. <laughs> okay, look, Terrell, I'll give you a little. I'll agree a little bit because I will say that some. TV highlights for me over the last six months have been Avatar The Last Airbender, yep. Community, and Veep, which are all older shows. Nostalgic, yeah. I do, I will say though that like there's so there's plenty of good newer shows. Yeah. I don't know. Like I name, love name Succession. I love Euphoria. Yeah. There's I others that Euphoria. I am. Yeah. Oh, you haven't? I've have not watched Euphoria. And Lovecraft really, Country is a good I one. was gonna say Lovecraft Country is the last show in the last three years that I would highlight, yeah. but I do find myself leaning back into my old comfort shows yeah. like scandal. I will watch revenge on repeat nonstop. Like these, those shows are literally anxiety attacks in an episode, but they aren't, <laughs> they really aren't. But like, I literally watch them. They are But <laughs> even here. I had like one of the best, one of the best shows I just watched. And I had, had a whole conversation with my family about was boondocks. I rewatched yeah. boondocks. Because mm, yeah. it's a great satire. Mm-hmm. It talks about topics. And also, it aged incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Like, well, we of course told it did. It was having t- unprecedented conversation. We told you in 2008 that R. Kelly was a sex offender. Lo and behold, fast forward a couple <sighs> years, R. Kelly is a sex offender. Like, Is it those... bad that I want to listen to some of his music? No, I still do. It's... Okay. That's a different topic for a different time. I that's haven't been listening, tangent. and I won't get into this messiness. See, I told you, y'all like reality. That's a, that's a different tangent to get into. But like, yeah. 
that's flying. I don't need no remixes to any ignitions. <laughs> they <laughs> they brought back Jersey Shore for the 18th time with a family reunion. <sighs> They're talking about bringing back Real World. Like they TV already brought it has back. not been TV has not been good. TV has not been good for the last few years. It's just been a copy and paste. Like oh, this really works. Succession is nothing but um um the West what? Wing or oh, no. no. Succession is Don't nothing. Don't come at West Wing like that. This succession is nothing but the template of West Wing. Like we're going to have this main, this main focus, this empire, and how are we going to build it out? And empire. I even loved that show yeah. for a while, but it just turned right. into a bunch of like uselessness. Yeah. Power. All of these shows, they they have all just been templates of each other. I blame Tyler Perry, but I'll also <sighs> not get into that messiness because that's not it- story for another time too. Well, that's been our show. <laughs> you know, you know, a great show that doesn't get any attention. The show Betty on HBO Max is a fantastic show oh, today. Okay. Y'all should try Betty? that show. We'll give that a shot. Give it, give it a or shot. Hacks. Hacks. Hacks was good too. I like. Yeah, that. Hacks. That's y'all, Terrell's. That's Terrell's dark comedy lane. Right so there. y'all really be on HBO Max watching all these shows? I just go in oh, for yes. the movies. It's kind of. Oh, we trying to get the, We trying to get this. Uh, these ads on here. We've been giving them free airtime yeah. for too long. Way Good. too long. Damn. American Horror Story. That's one show that I would give props. But it's also yeah. fallen into it like has. a man ways. Like TV, I really think, and I'm going to, this is going to be my call to action for my time. I really think if y'all took a step away and didn't attack it just because I said it and really thought about it, <laughs> you y'all might, have, too a, much y'all of might, y'all might have a moment here where you're, you're like, you're the damn, Ken- he actually kind of right. You're the Kenya of the group. Oh hell no! Don't 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 disrespect me like that. I am the Nini. Nini, or you want to be Nini? Okay. I am the Nini. I'm, I'm Portia. I am the show. Oh. Oh. I am the oh. show. I am the driver, and when I leave, this all dies. Damn. Opportunistic. That's some Nini Leak shit right there. I I think it's just because I think it's call me Wendy Williams. <laughs> no, I think it's become That's the- <laughs> torch your face. I think it's just become much harder to sustain a TV program. Because I think I think a lot of TV creators are operating off of the kind of like 24 episodes, eight seasons kind of format. And they're trying to put that into these other shows. And it's just really hard to sustain a TV show past three seasons, really. I mean, our society doesn't have the... the- we moved into a bench culture. Attention right? span because we've all had too much red dye 40. <laughs> we moved into a bench culture, right? Yeah. But like, I think also important to this context and why I say that. That was funny as fuck. It was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think it's important to this context, though. I grew up with like actual soap operas, right? Mm. So I used to watch All My Children and One Life to Live. Every... Shout out to As the World Turns. Mm-mm. Messy. Uh, used to watch those every single day i remember when i got a chance to sit in front of the tv at one o'clock and watch susan lucci be erica kane and do the things like amazing drama filled it it was a lot i actually stopped watching the soap operas because it was too much for a while tv now has moved into that but it's binge worthy now Mm -hmm. so you drop four episodes and they're all that soap opera stuff where i'm like all right, cool. I've already figured out how this show is going to end by the like by episode four. What draws me in to want to tune in in a couple more days? Hmm. Instead, I just end up watching reality TV because people are unpredictable. Hashtag bring I back th- love is blind Netflix. Oh, Jeez, thank you. Yes. Oh, Jesus. See, I would. I, I think we can only uh, 
define that conversation as quite the tangent as we uh i mean y'all all jumped in some... on my tangent so i never really we got did. to finish because you're always saying some bullshit but you you all did jump in on my tangent so i had to finish if my we didn't talk. jump in on your tangent you would think something was was wrong no i could have just finished my tangent and been done like we normally are look Terrell, don't be mad that you got Terrell. <laughs> <laughs> And that's our show. Oh, folks, that's our show. <laughs> I'm Torrance. I'm Caleb. I'm Terrell. I'm Jalen. And we're dangerously likely. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week. <laughs>